Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome back to The Stacks. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas. And before we get to our conversation with author Joe Piazza, another great way you can support this podcast is by shopping through the show notes that are on our website. Um, You can also shop through your phone. So any link down there in the show notes, a small commission of those purchases goes to support the stack. So if that's something that you're able to do, we greatly appreciate it. Also, make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you listen. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the show. The reviews go a long way and they really help. Here's one of our most recent reviews. It comes from Punch1111. They say, Tracy is so brilliant and funny. Thank you. These podcasts are very thought-provoking. I'd been hesitant to listen since I haven't always read the books they discuss, but I get a lot out of it either way, especially the interview episodes. Love the format and goodbye TBR, to be read list. So many great recs on here. Thank you so much, Punch1111. We appreciate it. And as you can tell, these reviews are super short and they go a long way to helping us get new audiences and make the podcast that y'all love to listen to. So please rate and review if you get a second. Okay, let's get to the show. This week, our guest is Joe Piazza. Joe is an author, journalist, and the host of The Committed Podcast. Joe's newest book is Charlotte Walsh Likes to Win, and it's just been chosen as Marie Claire Magazine's inaugural book club pick. So go check it out, and we're going to talk a bunch about the book. No spoilers. Don't worry. All right, so here's our conversation with Joe Piazza. All right, everybody. I am here today with Joe Piazza. Joe is the author of eight books, including her newest release, Charlotte Walsh Likes to Win. Joe is also the host of pod- the podcast Committed. Formerly, Joe was an editor and columnist for the New York Daily News, and her work can be found in other publications like the New York Times, Glamour Magazine, Slate, and much, much more. Joe, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me, and thanks for these chocolate croissants. I want to say on the podcast that you provided chocolate croissants, and that's just the sweetest thing, and I really... If you hear me eating, I'm eating a chocolate croissant. Enjoy them. And you can take them on the road with I you. Will. They're amazing. I will. Um, okay. So that's like your professional like little rundown. But tell us a little bit about you, where you come from, who you are. Yeah. So um, I'm a Philly girl. I grew up in Philly and then went to UPenn, literally like right down the street from my house, and then moved to New York for 13 years to be a journalist. Uh, my first journalism job was actually as an intern at the New York Times. Um, I did it while I was in college. They put up an ad in the college newspaper office, and then 9-11 happened. And so then they never called me back. So then I just showed up at their office. I just kept showing up, like, every day at the Trenton Bureau of the New York Times in the State House. And finally, they're like, I guess you work here now. And I'm like, I do work here now. Um, and You're like, where I, are my business cards? Yeah, exactly. I'm like, pour me some whiskey. Let's go. <laughs> um, they, they actually had bottles of whiskey and they smoked in the office back then. That's how wow. old I am. I know. But I kind of loved that because it was like this classic newspaper office. That's not that long ago. It wasn't that long ago. No. Um, and so then I moved to New York and went to uh, Columbia. And the only job that I could get at a New York newspaper in New York City was as a gossip columnist, um, a gossip column assistant. And I knew nothing about celebrities. And so, but I did it and I think it was good because I knew nothing about celebrities. I didn't care. I had like, I had no 
no celebrity fear whatsoever. It's like right. going on safari and being able to go up and just like touch the elephant. And they're um, like, who's this person who doesn't think I'm Who's amazing? this person who like has no interest in me whatsoever? And right. I'm like, who are you again? And they're like, Jay-Z. And I'm like, whatever. Come on, you knew who Jay-Z was. I actually didn't. So that's my, yeah. that's my, that's my first story is that. You're like my mom. <laughs> I got sent out to cover um, Sean Combs. Do we call him P. Diddy or Puff Daddy? I don't know. It was, it I think it was Puff Daddy. Sure. Um, his birthday party. And I came back and told my boss. I was like, I talked to this really nice, nice guy named Sean all night. And he's like, this guy? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, that was Jay-Z. He's like, I'm going to fire you. And I'm like, oh no. I'm like, I'll get better. And I made flashcards and it was good. Um, and so I was there for a long time. And I like, you know, kind of consider myself this New Yorker. And then I recently, three years ago, got married and moved to San Francisco, which is like a different planet compared right. to New York. Right. Um, but I fell madly in love with this like mountain climbing San Francisco hippie and we got engaged in three months and married in nine months and made a baby and so a cute baby he's so cute I will link to Joe's Instagram so you can see her cute baby he's ridiculous yeah. I mean it's just like I look at him a lot and I'm like how did this happen like yeah. I mean I know that like most mothers think their babies are cute but I'm like you're like really handsome well I think most babies are hideous and I think your baby's cute thank so you. thank that's, you that's and I always thought most babies were hideous too but like you're not allowed to say that to people Oh well, yeah. You can't tell other people. you can't tell other people that their babies are ugly. You just go like, oh, look at that oh, look, baby! Look at you that made. you made a baby. <laughs> wow, how yeah. old is that baby over mm -hmm. there that belongs to you? Mm -hmm. That's exactly. Amazing. So yeah. So and now I write books and write books and do a podcast full time, which is kind of like living the dream. Yeah, uh, which is amazing. Your podcast is called Committed. It is, and it kind of came out of. It came out of one books. of my books. Yeah. Yeah. So do yeah. you want to tell us a little bit about both of those things? Yeah. So when I was getting married, I mean, because I was in old, I was 34 when I got engaged. Okay. And that's geriatric, <laughs> practically, according to every romantic comedy ever. Sure. That's fair. Um, I had no idea how to be married. I was like, how do I be a feminist and a modern woman and be someone's wife? Like, this is, right. this is so antiquated and ridiculous. And I was a travel editor at Yahoo at the time. So Yahoo was paying for me to fly all over the world. Mm. And I'm like, what if I could interview people in different cultures about what it means to be a wife and what it means to be married? And so I did. And thank you, Marissa Meyer, for paying for me to research this book. God bless you and yes. God bless Yahoo, RIP. <laughs> so oh. I, I did. and interviewed everyone from po polygamous tribes in Tanzania and Kenya to Orthodox Jewish women in Jerusalem to very fancy French women who wanted me to buy $400 underwear. Oh. Um, I did not buy $400 no. underwear. Yahoo wasn't paying for that. Yahoo was, I could not figure out how to line item that on that. my expenses. Yeah, no. Okay. And uh, the book that came out of that was How to Be Married. And then How Stuff Works optioned that. And we turned it into committed. And it's narrative storytelling about interesting couples. So we have a couple of porn stars who are that monogamous really i love them so they're coming to my book event tonight are they the oh yes. my god so you're, gonna, meet them? you're gonna meet mick and annika um <laughs> porn stars who are monogamous in life but have sex with other people on screen right um a couple who was blown up together in the boston marathon bombing a couple who's been married for 28 years and has down syndrome and no one thought that they should get married right. at all these couples are so incredible yeah. uh I have and to say, it's a. I started listening to the podcast when I found out you were going to come on this show, and I was like, "Oh, I'll check it out." And then I listened to the first episode, and then one of the women from the second episode, or the woman from the second episode, she passed away. And yeah. I saw your post, and I was like, "Okay, well, I'm going to listen to this one." And then I was like, "Okay, let me listen to the third one." And I listened to all of them in like two days, I and love I told that. everyone about it. <laughs> it's just really. Um, I'm not very interested in other people's marriages normally, but the people are so. It's like they're almost extreme, and so mm -hmm. it makes your marriage or my marriage feel also extreme in a way. Totally. Like, I'm like, oh, cool. Like, I'm so cool. I'm married to Jake. Like, this is badass, even though, like, we're the most boring normal. Totally. But the thing is, everyone's marriage has a story, right? right. Like, right. I And everyone's marriage is boring and extreme. Boring and extreme and exciting time. and yeah. exciting to you. And right. everyone creates their own narrative about right. their marriage. Totally. Um, and I mean, it's funny because when I tell people, I'm like, oh, it's a podcast about marriage. So they're like, oh, God. And they think it's like, you know, relationship advice. And I'm like, no, trust me. It's just no. listen to like one episode. You'll like it. Yeah. And then they do. And then they listen. Then they binge them. It's good. The Astronauts one, also oh, one of my favorites. Yes. And my absolute favorite, because I, like you, enjoy newspapers mm -hmm. and I'm a sports fan. 
was the baseball writer. Susan and Dan. Oh yeah. my god. Yeah. Well, fantastic. I'm also from Oakland. Oh yeah. So you so know, like, and they cover yeah. the A's. Yeah, they yeah. cover the A's. I love sport. Like that episode, <clears throat> I was like folding my laundry, just being like, "This is all I want to be listening to." Where is their movie? I know. Where right. is their movie? So you know. People have talked to them about turning their story into. They're like not into it. No, they're, oh, they're they no, no. I think they would be into it. Um, and I'm supposed to have dinner with them, and I actually I want to talk to them about turning their story into a movie because I'm like I could just do it better. So whoever it would be so whoever good. you talk to, it would be so good. I mean, they're so like you know to condense their story, they're married baseball reporters who are r- rivals. They're at rival newspapers, um, right. and she's the star. Like right. she's the one who's like the best baseball reporter in the business right. yeah um and he just lo- he also just like loves her so much so like during the interview it's fascinating to watch couples because he just stares at her oh. like she is just like the best thing that's happened since chocolate ice cream i love that so much i know yeah it's a really good episode i'll link to the sh- I, you know i linked everything in the show notes. it'll all be there y'all but go check out committed there's an episode for you there's like what 10 I think there's 10 or 11 now. Yeah. I was going to count this morning and then I, I got distracted well there's a handful uh more than a handful Okay, so you so you talked about covering celebrities, but you also covered politics, elections. I did. I did. And while obviously Charlotte Walsh is about politics, and we'll get there in a second, but what would you say is like the biggest change you've seen in the way that co- covering politics and covering celebrity has changed? Because in 2001... Everything was different. Everything was different. Everything was different. Like our relationship yep. to celebrities, our relationship to politicians. Obviously, the current administration has taken celebrity to a new level, but that started to change even with President Obama. I think it even changed in the 90s. I, yeah. I was actually just listening on the way over here to Slow Burn. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, my God. Also such a good podcast. Such a good podcast. <laughs> and the new season is about Monica Lewinsky. And, you know, I was like in middle school when all of this sure. was happening. Um, and so it's interesting to get caught up. But... That was really the turning point, I think, where we started covering politicians like we cover celebrities. Right. And people ask me, so I covered politics at the same time as I was covering celebrities. Mm -hmm. As a gossip assistant and then a gossip columnist, I would get sent to all of the um, campaign events because we were covering politicians like celebrities. Sure. Um, And it was funny because one of our top political reporters uh, asked me, she was like, oh my god it's so cute you're doing this maybe I'll go to bungalow eight one night and I was like you won't get in I'm like what what I do is hard um and I think covering celebrities makes you fearless in a way too um and so that's how I got into covering politics and then I've covered four presidential races I've covered you know countless midterm and then local races too and I think the real turning point is that we're covering politicians like celebrities now and the 10 second news cycle sure and so I think people are one exhausted by all the news we have too much news it's just Mm -hmm. too much I actually I took a break after I finished writing Charlotte Walsh because I was living in the news cycle essentially for three months um and I'm only just emerging from it yeah where crazy time to be emerging I'll listen I would listen to NPR and like the NPR newscast every morning and I'd read the Sunday Times cover to cover on the weekend. And I would read the Sunday Long Reads newsletter from Don Vanatta, which is great, which curates all of the best stories you should read all week. And that was it. Right. So I wasn't reading Twitter. I wasn't reading Facebook. I took all of social media off my phone. That's so I nice. still like I still usually only use social media on my husband's phone, oh. which is like my dirty secret. Right. <laughs> um, and I felt less anxiety. And I but I didn't I felt more informed. Right. Because what I did read, I was internalizing more. Um, and I actually feel like the constant news cycle just makes us stupid. Right. That's um, true. And covering, I, I think both politicians and celebrities need to be covered, particularly celebrities. My argument for people that are like, celebrity news is vacuous and stupid. I'm like, celebrities influence you right. probably more than most people in right. the world. I mean, they make the culture. Yeah. So the fourth estate like needs to act on celebrities. Mm-hmm. It is incredibly mm-hmm. important. Right. Um, but I don't think we need to know every nuance of our politicians' private mm-hmm. lives. Um, I don't think that we need to have a think piece on, you know, the, even the length of Donald Trump's tie, but then most certainly on how female candidates are completely scrutinized for their hair, their makeup, their shoe, right. their size of heel, um, you know, right. whether or not they smile enough, how white are their teeth, like all of those things. I mean, it's just noise right. and it's distracting. And I think it's I'm when I when I get on my like soapbox, I'm like, it's destroying society and our brains. But it kind of it is. kind of is. Yeah. Um, what would you say in covering both celebrities and politicians like is 
the big difference? Or is there even a big difference? Celebrities have better hair. Better clothes. Celebrities, better Botox. Actually, sure. and that's not even true anymore. Not anymore. Politicians are getting better Botox. Yeah. But celebrities do still have better clothes. Um, there's really not not that much of a difference. No. Um, both groups of people are so surrounded by people creating their brand mm-hmm. that they almost it almost feels like not you're not covering a real person anyway. You're just covering a message. Right. You're covering a creation that someone else wants you to see. Right. And someone else wants you to cover. And both both celebrities and politics just feel so completely manufactured. Mm-hmm. And that was part of the reason I wanted to write this book. I'm like and. For the book, I interviewed hundreds of women who'd run for office, hundreds of women who had worked on campaigns. And I'm like, I just kind of want to puncture that veneer a little bit right. and like get to the real human being right. behind the facade. Right. And well, even with Hillary Clinton, all, we just saw a facade all the time. And I'm friends with so many people who are very close with her, who are on the campaign trail with her. And they're like, she is like a wonderful, real human. And when I've met her in person, you see that. But most voters never saw that. No. Right. I've, yeah. Yes, I've heard the same thing from. I have my family's involved in politics, so yeah, I've heard the same thing about her for years. Actually, I mean, my aunt worked for Clinton, so has known the Clintons for a long time, and you know, loves, loves, loves Hillary as a human, as a human. Um, but it's, I mean, you got to know people who know to tell you that to tell you that her. exactly, exactly. And yet, no one feels that way about Donald Trump. No. Well, no, I have heard that he is a really like when you're in the room with him. It is Clinton, Bill Clinton esque. Like he's charismatic. Charismatic. He, so I covered him as right. a celebrity in New York for sure. years and years. In fact, he used to call me when I was like a 23 year old assistant at the New York Daily News. Anytime we wrote about him, Joe, that is my real hair. How dare you say that's not my real hair? And I'm like, I'm 23. I just graduated from college. I'm really hungover. Why are you calling me this early leave in the morning? Yeah, leave me alone. And like, Ugh. yeah. But um, he was. He was very charismatic. He also presented as crazy. Sure. So like you he know, still just, crazy. and he still presents as crazy. That's like but like MO. everyone, everyone that I know that spent a lot of time with with him is like he's just he's almost like a robot. Like he mm. is like this kind of charismatic robot. It just makes me so sad. Um. Okay, we've kind of dipped our toe into Charlotte Walsh. Yeah. I want to dive in a little more. So you said that you interviewed lots of women candidates, which I've heard you talk about in other places, other podcasts and things, which I think is awesome. You approach this book a lot like a piece of nonfiction. I did. I can't help it. It's like That's it's a, you I have a problem. Like <laughs> I have like a, I have a journalism problem. Sure. Um, I've approached all of my fiction like it was nonfiction, and people ask me all the time in interviews. They're like, "Well, why didn't you just do a nonfiction book?" Right. And I was like, "Well, I genuinely believe that fiction changes hearts and minds in a way that nonfiction doesn't." And That's so interesting. And people also will pick up a novel yes. that would not pick up. A nonfiction political book. I think that that's true. I I am a huge nonfiction person. Mm-hmm. That's like my go-to. Right. So like fiction for me is like, God, am I gonna like this? Which is one of the reasons I really liked your book because I was like, this doesn't feel that fictiony. Like it had right. like a plot and it like moved and it felt like real life. Yeah. Um. But it's interesting that you say that because I think the opposite. I'm like, fiction never changes my mind. Like, I don't feel connected to fiction. Mm-hmm. Um. But I agree that it's a lot harder to get someone to, to pick, pick up, up nonfiction, nonfiction. and. You know, we live in such a partisan world right now. It would right. have been really hard, really hard to get people to pick that up. But, you know, I'm, I say all the time, like, if a man had written Charlotte Walsh, it would not have been characterized as a summer beach read. No, it just wouldn't. I'm very lucky the cover's not pink. Right. But I'm happy that it was characterized as a summer beach read because people, people are picked it up. up and read it at the beach that would not read about politics. And so then sure. people come back to me and they're like, you know what? don't care about politics, really curious about women running for office now. Sure. And I'm like, well, that's what I wanted to do. You're like, so, have you heard of Emily's List? Which is why we have a list of, in the, we have resources in the back of the book where yeah. people can go and find more women running for office. Yeah. Um, actually, I met um, Stephanie Schrock, the head of Emily's List, the other day in person for the first time. And I was like, thank you for letting me make up quotes from you in my fiction book. And she's like, of course. She's like, wonderful. no problem. Thanks for talking about Thanks for talking about women running. Yeah. She so. was probably happier that you were talking about it than you were making stuff. I know. I know. Her. She's like, it's great. She's like, you totally got me. What do you think is like the most common thing you heard from the women candidates and then the most unique thing? I know you're not saying who the candidates were. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not just because the only way to get people to talk to me openly was like right. to say that I'm never revealing their names. And I don't but... think you have to because you wrote a piece of fiction. fiction like exactly. so you don't have to quote these people exactly um, um 
the most common thing really is just being scrutinized on a daily basis for their appearance and how exhausting that is. I mean, a male candidate genuinely can roll out of bed mm -hmm. and throw on whatever suit he had on last mm -hmm. night and just go to an event. And for women, it takes hours and hours, and then they're still scrutinized. Like, right. your hair's too curly, your hair's too straight, you're, you should wear less, wear more suits, less dresses, you should wear more dresses, you should be more feminine. Right. Um, and that for years and years, women have also been told to run like a man. Mm -hmm. And so Charlotte Walsh is also told to run like a man. They're told right. to appear strong, like they're told not to have their families with them most of the time, but that's changing. And right. that's all changed in the, just the past 18 months right. that now women are like, you know what? Running like a man didn't really work for us. Right. So now we're going to run like women and right. we're going to be open and honest and vulnerable and authentic and listen to people. And this is the first time it's happened and it's going to be really interesting in the midterm elections to see if it works. And I think it will work because I think voters want something that's real now. Yeah, I agree. Uh, was there anything like specifically unique that stuck out to you that someone said that you were like, oh, I haven't heard that yet? Or was everything kind of? I mean, I kind of knew a lot of it going into it. Mm -hmm. um, one of my one of my favorite things that I realized was so mailers are still a big part of campaigns yeah. like that you get like a flyer in the mm -hmm. mail. I mean, we don't because we don't check our mail. I worked on a campaign. Um, so yeah. So, you know, I know. And but door hangers, too. door hangers. Ugh. So in those pictures, um, the men are usually told to be in a picture with their family mm -hmm. holding a child. Mm -hmm. um, the women are told no children and to be in a power pose, arms mm -hmm. crossed, hand under chin, sure. look smart. You're thinking. Right. Um, and I just and I never thought about that before until someone showed me a table full of like female mailers right. and, and male, male mailers. And that was just fascinating That's to me. That's so interesting. Yeah. Well, and then also with the social media, which I knew, but I didn't know the extent of it, that women are attacked online 300% more than men. Um, and one of my friends who worked on the campaign, on Hillary's campaign, they did an experiment where she tweeted something and a male staffer tweeted something mm. and they saw she was just attacked. And even if it was something like really innocuous, um, called terrible things. And he just like, he got retweeted mm -hmm. or someone was like, cool. That's wow. interesting. Um, and just, so I think I knew what I was going to hear going into it, but I didn't know the level of it. Got it. And I didn't know how entrenched it was. And then one last thing, too. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. Um, that it's the women journalists who are often harder on female candidates, who often judge them more harshly. And I think that that's something that we all have to reckon with. Mm -hmm. um, Doesn't surprise me. How are all. how are we covering women candidates, and what right. what is what should our role be in covering right. women candidates? I had I've heard you say this on other in other places where you said, um, you know, you've had to think about what you were gonna say about a woman candidate, like what I say this about a man candidate. Yeah. And the other day, this was like such an anecdote. I was watching TV, and there was this like really unattractive woman who was running or no, who wasn't running she was in office somewhere yeah. and I was like sitting on the couch and I was like that's a really unattractive woman and then I was like would I say that was a really unattractive man and then I was like I would I would, would you? and so okay. then I said turn to my husband I said she's really unattractive yeah and you're and that's the thing <laughs> but that's... I like had to have a moment of like mm -hmm. am I being an asshole or like you know and that's like real I'm also very vain I live in LA it's a terrible thing it's a terrible but place it was just yeah. an interesting <laughs> moment for me because like I, I mean, like, I talk really bad about the way Ted Cruz looks. Of course. You know, yeah, so yeah, I was yeah. like, so okay, like, okay. Like, I talk bad about male politicians' looks, yeah. too. I would but say I, like, this, too. But I, didn't critique her outfit because I didn't right. care about it. You right. know, but it was just, like, an interesting moment of, like, am I being a sexist mm -hmm. or am I just being an asshole? Or you just being an asshole, with. which is fine. I'm fine yeah, to be an totally, asshole. Totally that's, like, fine. part of my yeah. brand. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, and I think that that's what everyone needs to do. Be like, okay, would we say this if it were a man? Right. Would we care if it were a man? Would we be interested? And another really great example is, and women who, like, women Democrats who work on campaigns tell me they've experienced this bias too. If they look at a candidate and she's got young kids and they're like, God, how's she going to do it? Right. And then they hate themselves for thinking that. Right. But, and they would never think it about a man, but they still think it because we're women and we're like, we know that how hard that is. And we're like, how is she going how's to she gonna do, do that? Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. I have a question about actually writing your book yes there's like a lot of characters in this book mm -hmm. and you name them all yeah how do you pick names for your characters? oh my god it's so hard um sometimes, this was honestly like after like the eighth character i was like i need to know where these names came from so sometimes they just come to me sometimes i'm like this is just your name uh -huh. um charlotte was interesting her original name was elizabeth and we actually we talked to a lot of pollsters mm -hmm. 
uh, who said that candidates with two syllable names tend to do better than candidates with hmm. three syllable names. Huh. Very interesting. Um, male and female? Just female. Just female. Just female. Um, and I also, but, and then I realized that I wanted it to be um, kind of ambiguous. And so her nickname is Charlie. Right. And the original title was Charlie Walsh Likes to Win. And I kind of wanted people to feel this moment of like, oh, when they realized it was a, Charlie was a woman uh, and not a man. Yeah. But then that got next and we changed it to Charlotte. So some of the names really just come to me. I'm like, all right, this is your name. And then after you start naming a lot of characters, one of my ticks is that I start naming characters with all the same first letter oh. for some reason. And so in this book, it was A, and we have a lot of Anne, Annie, Anne-Marie, Alice. And so her assistant, her chief of staff's original name was Amina. And we realized it was just too many A's. And I love so her. we switched it to Leela. Like literally in the last draft, we switched it to Leela. Well, I was saying um, it wrong the whole time until they called her Lee. And then I was like, oh. Yeah. Because I think I was calling her Layla. Layla. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and, and so then then we switched that. But um, yeah, it's it's interesting. Like I, I go for a run or a walk or like a run walk um, every morning. And that's <laughs> usually when like the names come the to names me. Come. Or late at night, right before I go to sleep. Roz, we changed Roz, Roz's name late in the game too. Because okay. like I'll be or I'll be watching something and I'm like, oh, that's that character's name. Sure. But I always put placeholders in. Okay. Um, so that they so always you have can a name. Control but find I, and then. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. But I always know when it's not the right name when and I'm gonna have one. to change it. That makes sense. Um, my last little question about this book. Uh, a lot of our listeners have asked me to ask authors this: How different was the book that you started, and the book that is now here? Was there a big change? Like, did you know what you wanted this to be? Mm -hmm. um, yes. The book is pretty similar. Okay. In the beginning, it was way more of a satire. Okay. And I write satire in okay. fiction. The knockoff and fitness junkie were hardcore satires. I'm very good at satire. Okay. Um, so it was very, and it was very easy for me to go to that satirical place too. And then as we watched the Trump presidency unfold, I was like, shit mm -hmm. we're living a satire right and i don't right. want to write one um right. and so i pushed it to be a much stronger narrative um and do a lot like deeper character study with the book and so that really is the big change mm -hmm. like had hillary won i so think you were planning this before kind of in, like yeah we had we had we we had already been talking about it my editor and i okay um so had the election been different, I think it would have been a deeper satire on how the media treats women generally. Mm -hmm. It became something pretty different Got after it. what happened in November 2016. Got it. Okay. Interesting. So yeah, go read her book. It's called Charlotte Walsh Likes to Win. I really liked it. People will be shocked to hear that because it's like not <laughs> something that I normally would read. It's like very out of my wheelhouse. Like yeah. I like like heavy, dark nonfiction investigative journalism but like I said it kind of has a non-fiction-y feel to it, it because does. it's very specific which I think sometimes fiction lacks specificity of course which is does. what irritates me Tri drives me nuts so I drives so me nuts. that's what one of the things that I really like about the book also I won't ruin anything but the ending I'm sure a lot of people have feelings about lots of people have feelings. I saw it coming though I knew lots I of people like, have feelings feelings about the ending but um it was the only way you could end the book. it was the only way to end the book yeah okay we're gonna move on to your taste in books and reading and all awesome. that stuff so now we get to talk whatever everyone's favorite part what's gonna start with two books you love and one book you hate and if you don't feel comfortable saying you hate a book it can be a book that you dislike because I know some people get weird about that um of course yeah I um so two books I love I love and this is, I feel like I get I get criticized for this sometimes because there's such a, but a big push for all of us to be feminists all the time, mm -hmm. and so to only like I'm only going to talk about women women authors. No, and, don't no do that. so I mean the great <laughs> the Great Gatsby is my favorite book, and I reread mm. it constantly. Um, I just think it's so well done, well written, and it's short. And like, and I actually because I'm a newspaper journalist. I appreciate brevity. Love a short like, book. I can sit down, and it's perfect. That's the thing. It shouldn't be any more than it is. Right. Um, a 400-page novel, I'm really like, God, you are just masturbating this whole right. time. Right, um, So The Great Gatsby, and I love The Corrections by Jonathan Franzen. I actually mm. love Jonathan That's Franzen. That's a long book. That, it is also a long book, but he does it really well. And so like, I have one short book, one long book. Uh -huh. um, 
And and Jonathan Franzen gets so much flack, but the fact is I actually think he writes women really well. Shockingly, because I like the majority of male authors do not write women well. Um, And I'm like usually sadly disappointed anytime a man is writing a woman protagonist. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think he does. Interesting. I read Freedom. Okay. I I like Freedom too. Legit. That's like my nightmare kind of book. Yeah. That's like the opposite of what I like. Totally. I I read it though. I finished. Yeah. Good. Good. Because so I stopped finishing (laughs) books that I'm not enjoying. And actually, instead of saying one book that I hate, I will say like, I think we have to admit it when we're, when we don't finish something. Mm -hmm. Right. And so like, I've tried to read Jennifer Egan's Manhattan Beach five times mm, now. Just wasn't for you. It's not for me. I can't finish it. And I love everything else that she's written. Good, like, interesting. Visit from the Goon Squad is one of my right. favorite books. Um, and I can't get through Manhattan Beach. And now it's been chosen as like the book club book of for all New of York, New York. Yeah. And I'm like, God. You're like, well, all you, right. You could still go to the book club conversation. I could still like, go to the book club, say, book club conversation. It. Yeah. Exactly. What's the last great book you read? So I'm like you, I'm like picky in what kinds of types, what types of books that I mm-hmm. read. Um, I don't usually like short stories. Okay. I also like think it's like, oh my God, look at your adorable MFA pro- project. <laughs> but um, I just finished Florida by Lauren Groff and Curtis Sittenfeld's You Think It, I'll Say It. And they like blew me away as short story collections. I've been oh. recommending them both all summer and I'm like, everyone needs to read these. They are fantastic. Okay. I'm like you. I'm not really into short stories. I'm not, but no, but try I'll it. Check it. Try out. both of them because the things that they do in 15 pages mm-hmm. are remarkable. Okay. Um, and like, I literally hate short stories. <laughs> it's like the part of the New Yorker I don't read. I don't read the listings and I don't read the short stories. And sometimes I don't read the arts coverage. But and Sometimes you don't read any of it because they come just, every day and you're like, And sometimes it's just in a pile in the bathroom and that's okay. It's very much okay. Uh, how do you pick your next book? Like, do you use reviews or friend suggestions, bookstagram? Friend suggestions, okay. mostly. mostly. I also get sent a lot of books. Right. Um, so friend and editor suggestions. And I think about this all the time, right? Because I'm like, how do people choose books? How do people, how do people books? pick books? I love bookstagram. I think it's getting a little saturated. Uh-huh. I think that bookstagram was better nine months ago. Yeah, it's all the um, same books. It's usually all the same books. Right. Um, and I'm not see, and I think it's gotten saturated much like you know everything online. Now that the publishing houses have gotten aware right. to it, so now everyone's getting free books all the time. And mm-hmm. I loved Bookstagram when it was. I bought this book. I'm invested in this right. book, right. Um, as opposed to look at this stack of free books that I got. Right. Well, and I think it it's, it becomes an interesting conversation again of like not only what books are we seeing, but who's getting these free books? Who's getting them? What kind of reviewer, what kind of person, which exactly. is something that I think a lot about as a woman and a woman of color. Mm-hmm. It's it's like Black Klansmen, all the black accounts that I follow, w- women who are black who have mm-hmm. accounts, they all got free copies of that. Yeah, of course. But like nobody got free copies of like the incendiaries. Exactly. Except for white women. And I was exactly. like, this is interesting. Yeah. Like you don't, you don't think that we could review that? Yeah, we, we can't, we can't review that We can't that talk book. about that yeah. book. Or even just like, which books by people of color get a lot of light. Like the incendiaries got so much run. So much. And I was, I mean, I, I have it. I bought mm-hmm. it though. I yeah. have it and I haven't read it yet, but it's just an interesting, it's just interesting which books by people of color are chosen and which books by women. Mm-hmm. And Bookstagram also is very woman author heavy. Oh, of course it which is. Which I think is interesting is. because that's not really reflective of the real world. And no. I, while I'm trying not to buy books written by white men as mm-hmm. much I'm trying to use the library for that yeah there's a lot of books that are really great that are written by white men a lot of books that are really great written that by white people men. have never heard of exactly in that world exactly so yeah and I feel like bookstagram is, has also become just this echo chamber it's sure. a lot of people talking to each other about the exact exactly what you said right. same, books. The same books so that's I why mean, I like to go on there and drop just some giant nonfiction nightmare and people are like totally what is this? They're like, like, I'm what? about to read executioner song and some of my friends oh on great there were like what's that I'm like <gasps> you've never heard of this book? Like yes. this book from like years and years ago that changed the world and made true crime a thing? Like, Well, again? I also like to bring old books back because yeah. I, mean, I think that one, I think too many books are being published these sure. days. Again, Interesting. contributing to the noise, 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 noise. And so a book's life cycle at this point is like... So short. So short. Right. I mean, they, a lot of the publishers expect it to be a blockbuster the first week out. Mm-hmm. And if it's not, then it kind of starts to get ignored sure. I mean 
I've gotten really lucky and I'm really honest about this too because everyone's like oh my gosh you've gotten such great press and I'm like yeah but I was also a journalist like I know everyone mm -hmm. and so it's easy for me to create I'm not saying like Charlotte Walsh is wonderful she, it right. deserves the press but there's so many books out there that like can't Right. keep the life cycle going well so you're you have kind of like the inside track and also your book is so timely it's, right in I mean, this it, moment and it is really timely like it is and that's not an accident I mean, right come on. of yeah. course I mean if you wanted it to be not timely you probably wouldn't have had it be the 2018 exactly you know midterm you would have exactly. just said a midterm a midterm I, I feel that yeah but it's definitely like it is of this moment so it makes sense that it would be getting right of course, this that, it, that it can attention. get this moment. But yeah. like, I, yeah, so I like to bring back books that, you know, from a couple of years ago that I'm like, these are wonderful. Yeah. And these should be on your TBR pile right. next to your beautiful flowers and yeah. latte. Well, you know, I definitely, that's one of my goals is to read at least one book a month that's from like five years ago. Yeah. Just to like throw them back in. Throw them back in. But I also like to, I mean, I like Shakespeare and shit. So I read like old boring things everyone else hates. I don't <laughs> care. You don't have to read it. I'm reading it. Um, okay. What? maybe like the a book that you just love to recommend to people there's so many <laughs> it's such a problem so you sent me this list and I was like I don't know just one it's so it's so so tricky I mean I do I do recommend Gatsby to people okay. all the time I'm like right now I'm recommending a book written by one of my best friends um no one tells you this mm. by Glynis McNichol mm -hmm. um I mean I'm, I'm giving it out like a pedophile gives out candy, <laughs> candy. to children <laughs> Um, I, ca I carry like five of them with oh me God, at a time that. and hand them to people. It's just so good. Um, it just kind of redefines what it means to be a woman yeah. right now in the world. It's um, about her being 40 and not wanting to be married or have kids or any of that stuff. Right, exactly. But it's the thing about No One Tells You This is that it doesn't hit you over the head with it mm -hmm. the way that some other mm -hmm. books do. Mm -hmm. um, it's just like, this is my life. And so in a way, it normalizes Got it. that idea. Um, instead of being kind of a diatribe about it. And it's not whiny. A lot mm. of the books on this subject are very whiny. Mm -hmm. That's true. Um, what's the last good book someone recommended to you? The Mothers mm. by Britt Bennett. I read that last year. Mm -hmm. That was a good book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, like su such a great book. And like, again, like now I feel like people aren't talking about that anymore, but I'm like, can we like talk about the can books that about came out last yeah. year that are like still wonderful? I fucking love that cover. I love It's a beautiful cover. Oh my God. So beautiful. beautiful. Yeah. Um, What's the best book you've ever received as a gift? Oh, wow. <laughs> this one is also hard. Tuesdays with Maury. Uh, we read that in high school. See, I liked it. I love that book. I liked it. It was so sweet. But, you know, it was a good gift because I wouldn't have picked it up on my own. Hmm. I, like, it's the kind of book that I'm like, uh. He's a journalist. Yeah. I'm I mean, like, he's but, like a major old But I'm like, that's guy. just like not my, not my thing. But it's so wonderful. It's so good. Um, are there any things that you wish were different about your reading life, like the way that you read? No, I actually, you know, I have this really healthy reading life and, and people ask all the time, they're like, well, you've got a one-year-old and a podcast and you're writing another book and, you know, usually a job, um, mm -hmm. a full-time job too. And I'm like, you know, I just kind of make time for it. So I read at night mm -hmm. and I, I go to bed, go into bed an hour early got it. and I'll read for an hour every single night. And I probably read one book a week. Do you ever fall asleep? Sometimes. That's my problem reading yeah. at night. I mean, I do read at night. Yeah. I and started I, waking up an hour early. Okay. See, I can't do that. Like That's in harder. the morning, I'm just like, I'm mm -hmm. useless in the sure. morning. Um, so yeah, so I read at night, but I also, I get ideas. So I take notes at night. Mm. So I do fall asleep with a pen. And like, so our sheets are all covered, <laughs> covered in, in ink. ink. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Um, are there any genres that you avoid? No, no, you'll, tr you'll, pick no, it up. I, I mean, I pick up, I pick up most things and I try most things. I don't, and it depends what I'm doing. So if I'm writing fiction, because I write both fiction and nonfiction, if I'm writing fiction, I try to just read fiction. Got it. Um, but if I'm writing nonfiction, I try to read nonfiction. Do you prefer um, writing one to the other? Recently, I prefer fiction. Like I said, I had a baby 14 months ago. I wrote the first draft of Charlotte Walsh and, um, sent it in while I was in labor. Oh. I was bouncing on the yoga ball and sent in the first draft. And that, that's how my editor, my editor and agent like texted me and they're like, are you really? And I'm like, yes, yes, I am. So just <laughs> let's not talk for like a couple of days. Yeah. And um, send me your notes in a week. Send me, <laughs> send me your notes in six weeks. Um, <laughs> but I find fiction a lot easier right now because I mean, I don't do 
as much reporting. Okay. I still report, mm-hmm. but like finding time to do reporting is exhausting right now. I see. Okay. That's interesting. What's your favorite work or piece of political fiction and or nonfiction since you wrote a political piece of fiction? Totally. Yeah. Um, so fiction I, is Curtis Sittenfeld's um, American Wife, okay. which is just great. I've never um, heard of that. Check oh, it it's so good. I mean, it's just a, it's a thinly veiled novel about Laura Bush. Ooh. Um, mm. And so I have this dream that I want to do the same thing, but with Melania Trump because sure. I'm fascinated by her. I'm like, could I please just create Melania Trump's like inner world? Mm-hmm. I was talking to, uh, because we're in LA, um, a TV exec the other day who was like, maybe Melania Trump's actually like a superhero who at <laughs> night is like going out and solving the world's she problems. Wishes. And I'm like, maybe, probably <laughs> not, but maybe. She gets the best edit by the, the world. I know Everyone she Everyone thinks that she's like this. I'm like, look. No, no, no. There's... I don't know. I also just keep thinking about like Manchurian candidate and like maybe she's controlling everything in there. I have a more cynical take on her than than the general population. <laughs> I just I want to hear it. I just don't think that she I think that she knows exactly what she's doing. And I think that when you marry someone, you know who they are. Oh, and, you know exactly who they are. And, and you, you know what you're getting. Exactly. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I for don't... people to be like, oh, she she does. I'm like, no, she knows. No, no, no. She knew. She, she knew. knew. She knew exactly what she knows. was getting into. He was already who he was when they totally. got married. Totally. It's not like they got married when they were kids exactly. and then he changed. She right. knew. He had already thong? done some of yeah. his worst, the worst shit he'd done. Exactly. Up into that Ivana point. Trump knew. Yeah. Marla Maples knew. Right. Everyone knew that married that man exactly right. what they were getting into. But she's pretty, so people think that she is couldn't be evil. Exactly. <laughs> they, she's pretty and she looks like she probably smells good. Right. And they're like, oh. She can't be evil. When people right. think the same thing about Ivanka. Sure. Yeah. No, I, I don't. Uh, <laughs> what about your favorite work of political nonfiction? Primary Colors, which mm. um, Joe Klein pretended was fiction but wasn't. <laughs> I love that. Um, how do you read? Ebook? Uh, um, hard copies? No, regular books. Hard copies, paperbacks. Um, but Ever like audio actual- books? Sometimes, yeah, but I'm not lately because I'm listening to a lot of podcasts Got when it. I'm driving. But if I'm on long road trips, I'll do audiobooks but I don't think I've done an audiobook since Ghost Out of Watchmen mm. um a few years ago did you like that no I hated it okay. I, so oh books that we hate mm-hmm. books that we hate Ghost Out of Watchmen never should have been a book despised it I'm like oh my gosh this is just a total money grab yeah. um but it's funny because we listen to the audiobook it's the audiobook is Reese Witherspoon oh and she made like she it made was it delightful to listen to her voice well, so like we we got through the whole thing I don't think I would have gotten through it if I were reading the audiobooks that I like the most are the ones that are read by, by the, author? the author who is a celebrity. So yes. I wonder if I would like fiction by someone. Like Claire Danes does The Handmaid's Tale, oh, which I've never that. read. And so I'm like, I might like that. Oh, no, listen to it. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure that's really good. I like I, people um, who can perform or who can like get the intention. I love David Sedaris's audiobooks. Yeah, because yes. he's a performer. Because he's a performer. I did yeah. my own audiobook for How to Be Married. Did you? While pregnant. And you and have so a good voice. Like, but you can hear me like burping my way through. <laughs> and it was so long and so hard that I like, I, I totally like give kudos to audiobook recorders because yeah. it was rough and that was my own book yeah um and it was really hard it was like five days of eight hour days I, mean, I want to listen to that I love your voice that's part of the reason I love committed I'm like I mean it's a good podcast but I also I'm just like just got a great voice yeah but I mean so podcast hosts with without a great voice like I really liked Dirty John I couldn't stand his voice uh, horrible awful awful um, and I also figured out the end of that early. Too. We all knew the end of it. it. You know, it also went on it like on. it went on three episodes too long. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Uh, yeah. Anyways, okay. What's the last book that made you cry? The Mother's, but because I, I just read it, um, and yeah, I was I was bawling mm. during that one. What about the last book that made you laugh? Hmm. Oh, Florida by okay. by, by by Lauren Groff, and and again, they're short stories, but. And some of them are so sad and some of them are hilarious. And yeah, I was laughing. I was laughing okay, I have to read it. You told me already that I need to read it. You have to read it. Pick it up tonight. When you're, you're coming to book soup, I'm, I'm just going to grab a copy off the shelf and throw it at you. Um, what's the last book that made you angry? Oh, um, Katie Turr. Katie Turr's mm. book about being on the campaign trail. Because of Donald the content Trump. or because of the way it was written? No, just the content. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because like, re- I mean, I knew exactly what was going to happen in it. And then I just, I don't think I should have read it because I allowed it to make me angry. Right. And I knew that was going to happen. Right. What about the last book you felt like you learned a lot? Also that. Okay. Also that. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, oh, actually, though, no. So I, I was just in um, 
Santa Fe and uh, was reading the wife, the wives of Los Alamos, okay. which is a book that came out like ten years ago, I guess. And it's it's a fictionalized version of the wives of the men who were creating the atomic bomb. Oh, um, and I was staying um, on my my friend is Charlie Oppenheimer and his grandfather is Robert Oppenheimer who created the atomic bomb, and so we were staying on his ranch. Oh, cool. Yeah, and I was reading Wives of Los Alamos from his ranch. Oh my gosh. Really, and I learned so much because I was like, I didn't even know things. I'm like, what's the difference between an atomic bomb and a hydrogen bomb? And like all of these things about the war that I didn't know. So you're telling so. me there's a difference between those two things? There is. <laughs> and my husband, Nick, who is like a walking Wikipedia, can explain all of it to okay. you. He's like, Perfect. one of them involves plutonium okay. and one of them involves something else. Great. Yep. Who cares? That's what all that you is. need to know. That's all I need to know. Um, what's the What's a book that you feel proud that you've read? Oh, gosh. Um, it's so tough because... I like I have patted myself on the back for for reading so many books. The power I I think the Power Broker, the Power Broker is like my like prestige book okay. on my shelves. Yeah, because I mean it's huge. Yeah. it's so thick. Oh um, gosh, I love that. But it's I mean I read it in grad school at Columbia for journalism, okay. and then I was just like yeah. But I go back to it a lot because and I'm fascinated by Robert Moses generally. Mm-hmm. Um, and the planning of cities and the destruction of cities. When you've seen, I live in San Francisco now and watching the destruction of San Francisco by the freeways. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's my prestige book. And what about a book that you're embarrassed about never having read? I lie about reading Catch-22. Oh, I don't yeah. know that. Yeah, no, I tell people I read it. And Middlemarch. Yeah. Oh, no thanks. Yeah. Um, what about a book that you're embarrassed that you have read? Well, I've, so <laughs> I was talking to someone the other day. Someone texted me and they're like, oh, um, I'm reading all your books and I love them all. And I'm like, don't read Love Rehab. It's the worst thing in the world. <laughs> and so like, I'm embarrassed for reading and writing Love Rehab. But it was a practice novel. I was like writing it to see if I could do it. I love that. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. And it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cashback. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Um, what's a favorite book from childhood? Um, so I was a huge fan of all of the Judy Bloom books and okay. the Beverly Cleary books. Okay. Um, and it's funny because I, 
went through my garage and dug out all of my original copies mm. of those in anticipation of having a girl child um. and I have a boy child but I think that's fine. My husband is like this big feminist and he read all of Judy Bloom yeah. as a child. A good um, book's a good book. And he says that he cried at Blubber. Um, I've never read very... Judy Bloom. Oh my gosh. Like you should go back and reread Judy I Bloom just, because it's actually. A, she has an adult book I read. Is that true? Summer Sisters? Yeah. I love Summer Sisters. It was so dirty. It my was mom like gave it was this like, to like to it was like Fifty Shades of Grey before Fifty Shades yeah, of Grey. Yeah. I liked it. No, I liked it. I love I love Judy Bloom. <laughs> um she has a bookstore in Key West that I desperately want to go do a book event oh, at. Oh fun. Yeah. You should go. Um, um okay. What's a favorite book that was assigned to you in school? And then in parentheses that maybe you actually read because I didn't read a lot of books assigned to me in school. Isn't it? Do you remember Cliff Notes? Yes. Like, I mean, I actually I read Cliff Notes. Mm-hmm. Like, how fucked up is like that? Like, you went and bought them. You at went and the bought Cliff Notes at a bookstore. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I um. So the Great Gatsby was actually assigned to me in school, okay. and then became my favorite book. Um, That's interesting. And I actually I really liked a lot of the things that were assigned in school. I mean, I'm, I'm also a big Shakespeare fan. Oh, yay. So, Welcome to my life. Yeah, and, like those, and those are things that I wouldn't have read otherwise. Right. So I love the concept of required reading. I mean, and there are books that were assigned in school. I think Handmaid's Tale was assigned at one point. Really? I don't, I don't, I, but I don't remember reading it mm. in high school, um, and I only read it recently. Okay. And I think it was better reading it now because I don't think I would have appreciated it right. as a, you know, suburban white high school girl sure. with, like, no drama in my life is there something that you could think that you would assign if you were like a high school teacher a book that you think I mean I'm I don't know what they're assigning in high school right now I really hope that they're assigning a lot more diverse authors because I mean I just think that my reading list was majority white men Mm -hmm. um I mean I don't I can maybe count on one hand the books by women that were assigned and certainly no women or men of color. And so, yeah. I mean, I just really hope that they're revamping these lists yeah. for diverse authors, diverse stories, world stories, stories world that stories. come from from places other than the United States. Right. Yeah. And other than one point of view, I um, actually, I did an interview with Marie Claire because they chose Charlotte Walsh as their September book club pick. Mm. They just started a, a book club. And um, I said, you know, I'm just... I'm actually sick of writing about rich white women in New York mm-hmm. City. So like, I'm, I'm sick of publishers publishing books about rich white women in New York City. So right. I mean, granted, Charlotte Walsh is a rich white woman, but she goes home to her working class sure. town. And she's not in, in New York Pens- City. She's in, in Silicon Valley. She's not in New York City. She's in Silicon Valley. <laughs> she's totally. in Menlo or something. She's in Menlo. She's in yeah. Atherton. Totally no different. Um, so yeah, so I just, I just hope high school reading lists are getting more diverse. Sure. Uh, were there any books that influenced you professionally like made you want to be a journalist or want to start writing books well it was really more journalists and newspaper and magazine articles that made me want to be a journalist Um, any stories so yeah I mean everything that Tom Wolfe ever wrote um and actually because Tom Wolfe was such a journalist and magazine writer who also then became a novelist and you know Bonfire of the Vanities Mm -hmm. Bonfire of the Vanities is such a great example of fiction that reads like nonfiction because he did exactly what I do with my books and you know right. he, he does a lot of research and he is a journalist and a reporter right. um and I'd forgotten about that actually until you sent me this list that <laughs> how influential that book was on me oh I love that yeah. I still have to read that that's on my list it's great it's on my list one of my books to go back to but his you know after he passed away I went back and reread so many of his old magazine stories mm-hmm. too and they're just fantastic and he has one and there there's he talks about you know, gearing up to write Bonfire and how important he, like, he thought about writing a book about class and race in New York City for years and years. And he was convinced that someone else was going to write it. And then, of course, no one else is writing it. Mm -hmm. And how important he thought it was for fiction to reflect the reality that we're living in right now. Um, And I thought about that so much with Charlotte Walsh. I'm like, Mm -hmm. it's incumbent. We, there's hardly any political fiction out there. Mm -hmm. Um, Certainly none that casts a woman as the protagonist and how important it is for fiction to show what is happening right now. Well, that's what, you know, do you watch Shonda Rhimes shows? Of course I do. She talks about that. How can you not? She, she has like every every show on television. Thursday night you have to watch, but she talks about how like it's important that the doctors in Seattle Grace, now Sloan Memorial or whatever the fuck it's called. Is that is that what it's called now? Grace Sloan Memorial. How is that show still on? It's my favorite show. So no, I love... No, I'm not... 
I'm not saying I don't love it. No. Yeah. I cry at every, every episode. episode. If you don't cry at every episode, if you don't you cry at every episode. Turn this podcast off and never come back. If you no. don't cry at every episode, there's something wrong we with you. We need to call people and but we you do an should, Yeah, you should stop taking so much Zoloft. But yeah. um, and I'm on Zoloft and I still cry at every episode. It's like 13 seasons. I know, but how, like that's the thing. Know. I'm like, I don't know how it's still on. Because how it's still it's so going. Good. The characters are so good, and it's diverse, and people. It is diverse. Enjoy it's it. A, and it was diverse before diversity was like such a, a thing. such a thing. Right, right. And it, yeah, I mean, she does a great job of being like, you know, doctors look different. Right. Doctors aren't all George Clooney. Well, in the beginning, like all the doctors were just stupid hot. Yeah. I mean, they um, all are still like really they're attractive. They're really attractive. But like they're like different colors. And like, they are different some colors, are short and, and like some are thicker. short. And some are, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. They're a little different. Like yeah. they have a woman who's still job like now. ridiculously hot. We have one like ear, nose, and throat doctor for the mm. baby who I'm like, I swear to God, he's like not a real doctor. He's mm. like the doctor they parade in to be like sexy doctor. Yeah. When they, like, well, that's what I think my husband is. My, yeah. my husband's like a really cute doctor and he's an OB and he's had patients be like, I need to see someone else because they've been embarrassed because he's like too cute. Because he's too cute. Mm-hmm. Let's see, I've, I think after you have a kid, you're like stop being embarrassed. You're like, sure. I'm actually, you know what? Everyone has seen all of my yeah. junk down there. Who cares? I could care less. Who cares? Yeah. I'm, I mean, yeah, it's an, I, I get it. <laughs> I get not wanting to have like a super hot doctor. Super hot doctor yeah. all down in your stuff. Yeah, I get you it. Know? I'm like, fine. If you're if you're worried about being attracted to my husband, you need a different doctor. You need anyways, a different lady. doctor anyway. Back off. Get out. Uh, <laughs> um, if you weren't a writer or a podcaster mm-hmm. or any of the jobs that you have currently, what do you think you would do? I would like to be a large animal vet. Okay. Or a paleontologist. Ooh. So I told Nick this the other day. I'm like, we need to figure out what we're going to do when we're grownups. Okay. Um, and he's like, we are grownups. And I'm like, I don't know. Like, how, how long is this really going to last? <laughs> um, I'm like, I want to go back to school to be a large animal vet. And I want us to live in Wyoming. And he's Amazing. just like, and he's like, okay, whatever. So, um, but I think it would be great. Vet school is really hard and really expensive. Yeah. So we got to sell copies of the books. Yeah. Let's go hope- get Charlotte Walsh. Go get Charlotte Walsh. Let's. There's a link t- in the show notes. Hope it turns into a TV <laughs> show because I'm going to have to go to vet school now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I do want a next act. Okay. That's kind of completely separate from media. Got it. Because I've been in media since I was 18. Yeah. Um, and I want to try something different. Sure. And then you can like come back for your third act and write about being a your, large animal vet yeah, or a paleontologist in Wyoming. Exactly. You know, the mountains. I feel like I could do both large animal vet and paleontologist, like search for dinosaur bones at the same time. Why not? Yeah. And then I'm going to write a thriller about it, obviously. Perfect. And then yeah. you'll come back on the show like 20 years from now exactly. and be like, remember when I told you that I was going to do this? <laughs> and you're like, I did it. I did I it. I believe you. Yeah. If I ever have a large animal, I'll take it to you. Perfect. I'm going to be so good with them. They're going to love me. <laughs> I love it. Um, well, you kind of, I mean, this question's maybe a little leading, but what's a book that's not written by you mm-hmm. that you've read that you would like to see turned into a movie or TV show? Oh my God, there's so many. I mean, there, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in shock, like especially when I'm in LA and there's a lot of books that have not been turned into a movie mm-hmm. or TV show. And then I find out that it's because they've been just like caught in development hell mm-hmm. for so long. So, I mean, it's actually hard, so, so hard for me to answer. Um, Cause there's somebody that would be, and there's a lot of books that are really great on the page too, mm-hmm. that I then see options that I'm like, why, no. why did you do this? Um, I just finished less okay. actually, which I saw. We're doing that yeah. after this. Yeah. After we um, motherhood. Which, which is great, which I think could make a really excellent kind of dark comedy i mean you have to assume that's been optioned right i do have to assume it's been i mean it won the pulitzer i know yeah everyone's heard of it by now no i'm 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 assuming that it's been optioned yeah yeah okay um but then but but again everything gets optioned right and then like nothing ever ends up getting Getting made made. yeah that's the sad part that's the sad part well and i i just i wish that like there were it was just more transparent. Right. Like it like, was like, if you option it, you have this amount of time before well, you have you to release do. it. Well, you do. You have 18 months, which I think is too long sure. today. I'm like, right. if you haven't moved on it, like if there hasn't been like progress in three months, right. maybe Give we're- Give me back my book. May, maybe we're done. Yeah. Because after 18 months, no one cares anymore. Right. That's true. And plus by the time you actually make it, then it's an additional- Then it's an addi- I mean, it takes time. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like the clock is ticking, which is why we're like with Charlotte, we're like, all right, well, the Let's clock go. is ticking. Let's do it. Yeah. Fingers crossed for Charlotte. Fingers crossed for Charlotte. Um, okay, this is my my real favorite question. Mm-hmm. I stole it from the New York Times. If you could require the current president of the United States of America to read one book, what would it be? Blubber by Judy Bloom. Okay. Yep. 
I just want Donald Trump to have to read what it's like to be a young girl in America. Yes. Yes. That's amazing. All right. We're going to wrap up. Is there anything else you'd like to say today? No, I think that's it. Oh, I want to tell everyone that we're wearing the same t-shirt oh, right yeah. now. You'll see it in the picture. We're yeah. wearing the same shirt. That, like, uh, I mean, totally. We, we don't even, we've never met in person. No. We're wearing the same phenomenal woman t-shirt. Yeah. Shout out to Mina Harris. Yay, Mina. Yeah. Um, okay, great. We'll, we'll be back next week. We're going to talk about Motherhood by Sheila Hetty. And go read it if you haven't read it yet. All right. Bye. <laughs> That does it for us today on The Stacks. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you, Joe, for being our guest. Her book, Charlotte Walsh Likes to Win, is in stores now and is the inaugural pick for the Mary Claire Magazine's book club. So use the hashtag ReadWithMC to follow along with Charlotte. Make sure you're subscribed to The Stacks wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please rate and review. Don't forget, Patreon is an amazing way to help support the show. So go to patreon.com slash the stacks and contribute what you can. Thank you all so much for listening. Our graphic designer is Robin McCrite. Our theme music comes from Tagirajis. And this show was created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas. <laughs>